you know you all look different when, like from this perspective. I feel like, better, yeah, not, not a bad thing. No, you look like more <laughs> when you're up here. I, uh, you know when your like, friend has a puppy? And, or, okay, let's say if, if you have a puppy, you don't notice how the puppy's growing because you're with the puppy all the time. But when your friend has a puppy, you're not with the puppy all the time, so you go occasionally and see the dog. And every time you see it, it's like, you know, six inches taller and bigger. And I kind of feel the same way when I'm up here. Like, I'm not up here very much. And so it seems like every couple months or every other month when I'm up here, I'm like, whoa, who are these people? Like, we're in all three sections now, you know. <laughs> it's, it's time for the new building. I think I just compared the church to a puppy. <laughs> this is also my last time up here, I think. So, fun fact, yeah. In this building. That's what I mean, in this building. In this building, up here. That's what I mean. I'm not moving. I'm not retiring. Um, okay, I do have a message. I'm actually looking forward to sharing here. I hope it all comes together. But before I uh, start, we have a youth conference coming up in June that I wanted you all to be aware of. And the reason I want all of you to be aware of, it's a, it's a youth conference, but there is evening meetings that you are welcome to attend. So um, I have a little promo video that I want to show you. Before we do it, there's Andrew. We're going to need it as dark as possible in here. So if you could get the lights, give me just one more minute here. Um, coming up in June, June 21st to 23rd, so starting the longest day of the year, called the FLX Rugged Retreat. It's our second year doing it. We had an incredible time doing it last year. And uh, so we're, we're having it again, right about the same time as we did last year. June 21st to 23rd, starting a Friday night, all day Saturday, and then finished by Sunday noon. So that's coming up. You'll be hearing more details about that. I've got a great team that's working on all kinds of different things. We have about a 100-acre property south of Penyan, 8, 10 miles, somewhere around there, overlooking Cuca Lake. It's a beautiful camping area. We're going to set up the tent there, and we cook all of our food over the fire. Every, everyone sleeps outside. It's a great time. So if we could get the lights, I've got a little promo video here that we're going to show you. I can't think of a better way to describe that weekend than that video right there. Best way ever. It's <laughs> trying to think of like what makes up a good promo video. And that just kind of came to be where, like I said, can't think of a better way to describe it. That's the FLX Rugged Retreat right there. So if anybody wonders, just show them that video. I'll post, uh, I'll put a, create a Facebook page here this week and post that up and then we'll have ongoing stuff from there on. Um, there is... There's, I'll give you more details. Uh, Matt Stutzman's coming, and he's bringing a team from Baltimore. And um, we'll be here. There's several of the youth groups that are, oh, there's one or two new youth, youth groups that are new to us that are also going to be coming and being a part of it. And um, it's uh, similar to other events we have here. There's a, it's a weekend event, so we're going to have a meeting Friday night starting at 7, and then a meal following and then Saturday morning from 10 to noon, there's a breakfast before that. Saturday morning from 10 to noon, there's a meeting. And then the afternoon's free with all kinds of different games and such, some free time. And then uh, we're going to have a dinner and then another 7 o'clock meeting Saturday night. And then one last meeting Sunday morning from about 10 to noon. So I really am looking forward to it. Thanks for pulling that off, Ruth. Okay. Um, I... Uh, it seems like lately, 
Penn has been talking a lot about uh, wholeness and how to become whole. I've just been thinking of that a lot lately. He talks about the armor of God, and before that he was talking about, well, yeah, people becoming whole people, and we want to see people become whole in themselves. And so I've just been thinking a lot about that, like what does it mean, or what does it even look like to be a whole person? You know, is it even possible? And um, so I've, it caused me to start looking up the word. And actually the word for whole in the Bible here is perfect a lot of times, which means whole. So if you see that word perfect, it can mean a whole person or maybe a fully mature person. And it's actually achievable. You know, I, and I, I get the idea. We have this idea where, like, we never arrive, you know, uh, here on this earth. And I, I get that idea because there always is, you know, we're always growing. We're always being stretched. We never really do arrive. But at the same time, like, if I'm going to set a goal, I want to be a whole person. I want to see what that looks like. I want it to be something that I can actually, you know, put, some, put a mark on it and see when I can achieve it. Or is it even possible to achieve it here in this life? What does a whole person look like? What does a perfect person look like? So you could call this title, you could call this message, How to Be Perfect, or <laughs> How to Be a Perfect Person. It's actually possible, according to the words that I'm reading here on Scripture. I'm going to try and prove it to you with uh, Scripture. Um, Paul's, that was Paul's goal. His goal was to raise up everyone perfect, um, whole. Colossians 1.28 says that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whole in Christ Jesus, to this end I also labor. That was what he was working for, is bringing people up into wholeness. And I feel like Penn's the same way, and our leadership team is the same way, and uh, we've been hearing that last several months, a bunch. And so, um, I had this idea, like, maybe it's just me, but I have an idea of, like, to become a whole person, you know, what's it look like? Is it supposed to be, you know, financially secure, physically fit, uh, your dream job, that's the, that's the surface level. When I think of a person who is whole, who has it all together, those are oftentimes the first thoughts that come to me. That's what it looks like to be whole. You know, that person is, he's made it, he's arrived. And so, just starting this study, I, hang on just a second, I'm starting my, okay. Um, starting this study, I uh, began to dig into some scriptures here and look up the word perfect, meaning the word whole and mature, and realizing that, realize that none of those things I just mentioned have really anything to do with being a whole person. So I've narrowed it down to several things on how to be a whole person. And I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, well, maybe I'll start over here. We t I took the Enneagram test, Enneagram test. Bunch of you take that one. <laughs> the whole youth group took it, actually. It's a personality test. And I'm a three, which is a successful achiever, which is great because uh, we like to achieve things successfully. But at the same time, like the downside of it, and first of all, with personality tests, I like personality tests, but um, you can... Just be careful how you label yourself. And I want to make sure that everybody knows, and I told the youth group that, like, I'm all for these personality tests. I like the Enneagram tests. I'm talking about it right now. But sometimes we can limit ourselves with the label we put on it. But that's a side note. Anyways, so I'm labeling myself as a three. And the only thing with successful achievers sometimes is for myself, I can, I like to look, I like to have it all together. 
I like to be physically fit. I like to have everything in order with my finances. I like to uh, yeah, have everything together. And the problem with that is even when I don't have it all together, I like to appear that I have it all together because I like the appearance of that. And so naturally when I think of a whole person, that's the thought that comes to my mind is someone who has it all together, who has the right amount of money, who um, looks good and just outward has it all together. And I've just come to, like, even just in the past several months, just realize that I need to be, I need to push that image aside. And there are times when, like, if I don't have it all together, I have to be okay with that and just be transparent and not try and fake it. Because um, a lot of that really doesn't have anything to do with wholeness. So here's what the several things that I have. Well, let me start with the first one. So what does it mean, or what are some signs of a perfect person? And when I say perfect, I mean a fully mature, whole person. If we're going to bring people into wholeness, what are some signs of that? Ready? First sign is found in Matthew 5. So how I did this is I just looked up the word perfect. Matthew 5. is the famous Sermon of the Mount. And here is the verse. I'm reading from the uh, New King James. Matthew 5, verse 48 says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So he's laying it out for us. He's actually making it possible. And he's saying, you can be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he says, therefore. So that means everything behind that brings him to this conclusion. He's concluding the whole chapter behind him. So we need to look at the whole chapter behind him and see what he was talking about. And it's the Sermon of the Mount. It's a familiar passage for a lot of us. He's talking, he goes through the uh, Beatitudes, all the blesseds. He's talking about how believers are salt and light. He's talking about um, murder begins in the heart, adultery begins in the heart. He goes into marriage, um, how it's sacred and binding, and he goes into oaths, and then he finishes things off with going the second mile and loving your enemies. And then he says, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if we look at this whole chapter, if I were to summarize this whole chapter, it all has to do with relationships, with how... We treat each other. That has, that, that's a major part of wholeness. If I had to summarize it, if I had to summarize this whole chapter in just a few sentences, I would say, I would say treat people, treat all people with respect and honor. I would say love deeply, and I would say forgive quickly. And that's really what Matthew 5 is all about. So you could say treat all people with respect and honor, love deeply, forgive quickly, so that you will be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's a major part of wholeness. Um, if I were to summarize this whole chapter in one sentence, I think it has to do with forgiveness. Forgive those who hurt you is a major part of this chapter. This issue of forgiveness is just so huge to God. And I, I think pretty much every one of us here realize that, especially going after uh, this Penn's book in the care group. Uh, the issue of forgiveness. It's so important to God that we maintain forgiveness in our hearts towards others. And that's a major step in becoming whole and becoming perfect. Um, the thing with forgiveness is I think it's such a big deal to God because he's, 
He's already forgiven us, and he's already forgiven everyone else that is to be born. So if you ask, like, when did God forgive us? And I think the best answer to that is he forgave us on the cross. So he forgave you before you were even a person, before, long before you were ever born. He, and I can get this here. Uh, I'll quick prove this uh, in First John. First John says, 2, 2 says, he, not, he died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. So the cross was so powerful that he actually forgave everyone, not just you, but everyone. As long as you're a human being, he actually forgave that person, and he forgave everyone who is yet to be born, who is still going to be born. That's how powerful the cross is, and that's how he forgave us. That, and so it's such a huge issue to him because he's put himself out there. He's forgiven everybody. The issue is never forgiveness. Well, God, forgive me or not. No, he's forgiven you long before you were even born. He's already forgiven you. The issue is, will you come home? See, I think just a little trail off into forgiveness, there's actually, I think whoever ends up in hell, they're actually forgiven people. God's actually forgiven them before they were even born. And you say, well, why do they end up in hell? And please stick with me here. Even though you're forgiven, you still have to come home. That's the story of the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son, the father already forgave his son. He forgave him even before he left, but he still let him leave. That's where free choice comes in. That's the, I love the story of the prodigal son. He, he goes out, the father lets him leave, and he really wastes his life away. The father's waiting there at the gate for him. He's completely forgiven him. But at the same time, the prodigal son has to come to his senses and he has to come home. Kind of like what that video was we were just talking about. You have, you have to come home or else you can actually miss the forgiveness. Just because he's forgiven you uh, doesn't mean it's, it's, you know, everything's done. You still have, that's, that's really, coming home is repentance. It's coming home to the Father who's already forgiven us. So he's already forgiven us. That's the salvation story. It's not an issue of, will God forgive me? It's, will people come home? Will you come home? That's how we introduce folks to the gospel. It's not a question of, does he forgive you, or will he forgive you? He already has. It's a matter of, are you going to come home? He's waiting at the gate for you. It's huge, Tim. It's huge. We have to forgive. Um, this is in Penn's book, and I think he quoted it from somebody else. He says, forgive quickly while it is still weak or manageable, while it is still manageable. Bill Johnson, that's who quoted it. And it's so true. It's like the longer we wait to forgive, it seems like the harder it is. I... This thought came to my mind. I wrote this note down, and I was like, and then this story came to my mind. You ever have someone call you by the wrong name, and you're too lazy to correct them? <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> I'll never do that again after this story. Because uh, after a while, you get to a point where, like, how do you correct them? Because <laughs> they've already been calling you. Um, I, uh, I found something. I was looking for this expensive tree stand on Craigslist, and I finally found it. And so I called the guy and ask him if, uh, if it's still available and I want to come see it. And for some reason, I don't know if it's how I say my name, but it happens many times. When I say my name, people think they hear Jeffy. Like, <laughs> who's even named Jeffy? Usually it's Jeff. And so and it's, it's just noticed, like, rec even recently, it just happens. People think it's Jeffy or maybe Jeffrey. And um, so I, I told him, you know, his name's Jesse Lapp. And, and I thought I heard over the phone, like, he's, 
was calling me Jeffy or Jeff, which I thought maybe he was just calling me Jess, but I couldn't quite tell, and you know, I wasn't going to just correct him, because it's like, maybe I'm just hearing it wrong. So I, anyway, set up the appointment, met him, went, or went to go look at the tree stand, and when I met him, I thought I heard it again, but by then it was like, I think he's saying Jess or Jeff, but I'm not sure. Maybe it was the way he talked too. But by then I was just, you know, I was just too lazy to correct him. I was like, I'm just going to buy this tree stand, never going to see him again. doesn't matter. <laughs> maybe I'm the only one that does that, you know. Um, but it ended up, I, like he was a talker. I was there a whole lot longer than I thought I would be. And I, I did buy the tree stand, but like throughout the whole prop process, he introduced me to his wife. He had a friend there. And like by three or four times of saying my name, I realized he's saying Jeff. You know, he's not saying Jess. And by then it's like, I mean, I mean, right now it's so easy. Like I should have just stopped him and said, wait, no, 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 you're saying my name wrong. It's Jess or Jesse. But I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. And you get to a point where after a while he's introducing you and you're not correcting him that I'm just Jeff. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> so... I, and I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm not going to see him again. I'm going to buy the tree stand and leave. Well, then right before I left, he showed me this shotgun that he had. And I had been looking for a shotgun. And really caught my interest. But I didn't buy it then. But it was just the silliest little thing. Part, so I left and, went left and um, really wanted this shotgun. But, you know, I wanted to go home and think about it and see if I could afford it. And I wanted to call him then the next week or so and tell him I wanted the shotgun. But this is the stupidest little thing. I thought... But I'm Jeff to him. <laughs> it would just be easier to not even buy the shotgun. So and I just finally realized I'm not going to give up a shotgun just because he's calling me the wrong name. And so I went back. You never know. You know just because you see someone once doesn't mean it's the last time you're going to see him. And so I went back, and I ended up buying the shotgun. And <laughs> I finally got to the point where I was like, you know, this guy could actually become a friend. I need to correct him. And finally, the second time when I was there buying the shotgun, I had to correct him. I was like, Look, I, you've been saying my name wrong. It's, it's Jess or it's Jesse. And it was just, it wouldn't have had to been near that awkward or near that hard. It was, I just let it go way too long. And then when you reach that point, it's like, what are you going to do? And I think, like, I just, that story came to mind when I think of forgiveness. Like, forgiveness can be so much easier if we just do it right away. Stop things, stop our life, forgive. Stop our life, forgive. Because you get to this point where it's like, you know, years later and this thing is still hounding you. And most likely the other person's, you know, completely forgotten about it if there is a conflict. And you just have to get something off your back. And it just makes the whole thing a lot harder than what it has to be. So forgive quickly. <laughs> if someone says, from then on, I learned a lesson. If someone says my name wrong, I stop them right there. And uh, I correct them. But I think forgiveness is kind of the same way. Signs of a whole person. They forgive quickly. Uh, second sign. I have three signs here, just so you know how long I'm going here. James 3.2. Again, the same thing I did was I looked up the, uh, the word perfect. What makes up a whole person? James 3.2. Um... Okay, here we go. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. There it is again. Able also to bridle the whole body. And then he goes in to talk about how powerful the tongue is and how hard it is to tame. But if you can control it, there's wholeness there. 
There's wholeness if you can control your tongue. And not only control it, but actually steer your tongue to where you want to go and say what you want to say. Um, and I just thought about, like, if we're able to control our words, not only control them, but, like, use them for, use them for good. Our words, I think, always reminding myself this, that my words are more powerful than I realize. And you just have to flip through Proverbs to see it. Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Um, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. A good word makes the heart glad. A word spoken in due season, how good it is. In other words, our words, our words matter. There is death and life in our words. Uh, there's this great passage in Joel 3.10. It's one verse, and... Uh, the writer is mustering people up for war. He's like trying to, you know, stand up and get up for, ready for war. And he says these words. He says, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. And he finishes off with this. Let the weak say, I am strong. It's just so interesting that he finishes with that. Let the weak say, I am strong. Your words do matter. Sometimes when you feel weak, you have to say, I'm strong. Because your words can pull you out of that. Your motion, or I, some people have said motion creates emotion. Or the act of you stepping out and saying it, even though you don't necessarily feel it, actually can create the feeling of strength. If you don't feel strong, but you actually step out. And I don't mean it to be some cliche thing. There is power in it. You actually step out and say, I am strong. There's strength in there. You have to start there. Uh, it, Penn's written a book called The Eyes of Your Heart. And it kind of reminds me of that, where like what you're looking at, what you're focusing, even what you're saying, depends what's coming into you, what's coming into your, your mind and your heart. So your words can be like a door to what's coming in. Your words can be like, uh, they can be a way to, you know, we, we bind and we loose by our, by our words. Our words are powerful. Um, there's a story in Matthew 9 where it's a really, really common story. I'm sure most of you know it. But there's this little girl who dies, and Jesus raises her from the dead. And he walks into this funeral, and he does the strangest thing. It's like so culturally unacceptable. If now it would be, then it was, it always is. He walks into the funeral, and he says aloud, because it says people ridiculed him, ridiculed him, he says, she's not dead. She's sleep, but sleeping. It's like, what was he doing? She was, I mean, I'm pretty sure they knew how to take a pulse back then, and she was dead. And he just says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And he just uses his words. I think there's something about that where he knew the power of his words. And he uses his words in, in a way like you see here, and it was incredibly offensive. In um, John 11, he does it. It's not the only time he does it. He does it a couple of times. I'm going to quick turn to this one. This is a good one. John 11 is the story of Lazarus. So Jesus, here's the setting. Um, Jesus just almost got stoned in Judea. And so they escape, and they move away to the next town or something. Well, Lazarus, his friend, Lazarus lives in Judea or near Judea. And Lazarus becomes ill, and then eventually dies. And so Jesus wants to go back to Judea, and it's the last thing the disciples want to do because they just narrowly escaped with their lives. So he says to them in 11, chapter 7, he says this, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples are like, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, 
and you're going there again? And then he has this conversation with them. And then in verse 11, I'm jumping ahead three verses. He says, uh, these things he said to them, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. He wasn't sleeping, he was dead. And <laughs> the disciples are like, they totally goes through, like they actually think he's talking about Lazarus sleeping. Because you see that in the next verse, they're like, if he's sleeping, it's not worth going back there to wake him up. He's going to wake up himself. <laughs> you know? If somebody's sleeping, they'll wake up. We don't have to go back there and risk our lives just to wake this guy up. They totally, they have no idea that Lazarus is dead. And then Jesus just says it. He says, Lazarus is dead. So there he just says, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas has this phrase. He's like, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> so pessimistic, but um, he used his words again in the strangest way where he's talking to his disciples in the conversation and they have no idea that Lazarus is dead. Jesus knew that he was dead, but for some reason he says he's sleeping and he has to spell it out to them then and say, no, he's actually, he's dead. Your words matter. I, I think there was something he knew, something he knew. Maybe he had to do something with faith where... Um, he realized the power of his words. It might be something to do with that. Um, I don't want you to get, like, we can get really weird about this whole thing, too, the whole thing with words. You know, if you say it, it might rain, then it's going to rain and all of that. I just want you to realize your words matter. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so pay attention to your words because the words can also often reflect what's in your heart and what's in other people's heart. Um, yeah, that's sign number two, is use your words, control your words, use them for power, signs of a whole person. And the last thing I have here <clears throat> is also found in James. James talked about wholeness quite a bit. Um, James is chapter one, verse two to four. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And there's the phrase again, perfect and complete, wholeness, lacking nothing. And so I wrote down here, perfect people know how to trust God. They know how to walk with God in faith. They know how to trust for the unseen, for what's not there yet. That's what James is talking about here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work so that you can be perfect and complete. You know, it'd be nice to reach a spot. It just seems like I'm always trying to reach this spot where, like, I have control over everything, where I don't have to wait on anything. And um, it's just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's bad, but it's just, some, I, I'm always at this, uh, it just seems like I, I want to reach a point in my life, you know, I want to arrive at a point in my life where I don't have to trust and I'm just realizing that's not necessarily a good thing. There's so much strength that comes from always having something in your life that you can't do. In other words, make your life bigger than you so that you are put in a spot of trust. Every opportunity we have to trust God brings us closer to wholeness. That doesn't mean go way in debt or anything like that and have to trust God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about dream bigger than you so that you have to trust God to see the, the dream come true. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And you could, you, could, you know, faith and trust are the, uh, I think I was trying to think of the phrase, the two different sides of the same coin. It's really the same word. Um, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So God wants to see faith. He wants to see you trust. And then it goes, we often stop there, but here's what it goes into the next, it keeps going, and it says, here's how you demonstrate faith. Here's how you demonstrate trust. So there's two things here. Hebrews 11:6. He who comes to God must believe that he is. So that's thing number one. First of all, we have to find God. We have to believe that God even is. And that's what we're trying, I mean, that's what we're trying to introduce people to. We're trying to introduce them to God and show them that God is. First of all, God exists. That takes faith because God's, for the most part, invisible. You don't necessarily see him. There's accounts of people that have seen him. But for the most part, God's invisible. And so it takes trust. First of all, we have to trust and believe that he is. And then the second thing is that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's things to come, either in this life or the next, where God is actually laying up rewards for us. But I can't prove that to you. I can just tell you, and you just have to believe me, or believe what you see here, because it takes faith. Like, I don't know what's waiting for me, but I just have to trust that God is actually a rewarder when I diligently seek him. And it's just something that I have to believe and I have to trust. have to trust that he's there. Um, in Galatians, just another example here, in Galatians, Paul's talking to these people in uh, the book of Galatians where they've begun to leave the simple act of living by faith. And sometimes, sometimes it's just easier to go back to a formula or a system. And that's kind of what's happening here in Galatians where they're just tired of living by faith. They don't know what's going on. And, and they're just, they're, you know, more or less used to the way things were with the animal sacrifice and the black and the white and uh, the system. They're used to the system. And Paul's bringing them back around and he's trying to bring them back into this life of faith. And he says, um, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you, this is in Galatians 3, 5, and 6, he says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of law? So does he do it by the system? Or does he do it by the hearing of faith? And the obvious answer is by the hearing of faith. He acts on your trust, on your faith. And then he says, just as Abraham believed God, and that word believe, you could also put trusted in there, just as Abraham trusted God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This whole thing of trust is so huge. That's really what, I mean, this life is a life of faith. And you have to come to a spot where you're okay with trusting God for the unknown. That's how he credits you. That's how he puts righteousness over you. There's one more example, story of Asa. I think Penn shared this. Um, the story of Asa, it says God's looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him, whose hearts are fully to him, whose hearts are trusting him. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Whole people know how to trust God. Those are the three that I came up with. Whole people forgive quickly. Whole people use their words, know how to use their words, or realize the importance of their words, and whole people know how to trust God. When you look at it that way, it's, it's really pretty simple. I mean, it actually doesn't have anything to do with the way I look, or uh, you know, anything that you might say 
When we look at someone like, that's a whole person, you know, they have everything together. It's these three things. This, this is what we're trying for, to live a whole perfect life. It's actually possible. It's actually achievable. Um, we just miss it sometimes because we're so focused on other things. Can we stand? It's possible to live this life whole, perfect, fully mature, and it has to do with these three things. There might be more. I, I'm, I'm sure there's sub-points and a bunch of other things you could say along with it, but I tried to make it as simple as possible. Look up the word where God talks about how to be perfect, <laughs> how to be mature, how to be a whole person, and these are what I came up with. So, yeah, really hope it was an encouragement to you as well. Let's pray. And then we'll finish things off here and I'll close the service. Jesus, thank you so much for this group of people that want to be whole. People that want to be whole. Bring us higher, Lord. Bring us higher. God, there's so much ahead of us, each one of us, doesn't matter our age. There's so much in store for each one of us, Lord. And I pray that we could step into that with a purpose, purpose, with an intention, tension like never before. Speak to each one of us, Lord. Guide us and show us. You're so good at walking us through, at pastoring us, at leading us. And so, Lord, I pray that you draw yourself closer and closer to each one of us here. And God, I pray that wherever we go, we could be a beacon of your light to whoever we come in contact with. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for tonight. Amen. Amen. I think I'm officially closing things, right? No other announcement. So thanks so much for coming out. Maybe next time you see me, I won't be here, but I'll be at the new building if I'm up front. <laughs> Amen. You're dismissed.